Hey, Reach Paramount, welcome to our podcast. We really hope this message encourages and challenges you as you walk with the Lord every day. Enjoy this message. Well, welcome to Reach Church. No place I'd rather be on a Wednesday night. Oh, man, it's just so much purpose in this meeting of gathering together. So if you guys would please be seated. If it's your first time here, uh, welcome. You've come to the right place, a church that loves the Lord, puts his presence above all else, sticks to his word, loves gospel community. Just grateful to be here. Uh, Before I get into the main context, there's just opening uh, that I want to share. And I believe that it's relatable to almost everybody here. If you've been serving God for quite some amount of time, I believe this is relatable to you. And not that I'm trying to scare anybody, uh, but if it's if it hasn't happened to you yet, it's not a matter of if, but a matter of when. It's inevitable. And so, you ever been on fire? You hear this term, right? It's like, I'm on fire for the Lord. You ever been there in one season and everything is great, right? It's like, this is where... I just always long to be. I feel like this is where the Lord has me. He just designed for me to be was right here. You're just on fire for God. And then out of nowhere, you just look back in one season, you're just living in a rebellion. It's like obedience is easy in one season. I long to please the Lord. It's easy for me. I long to please him. I I desire to be with him, to stick to his word. Obedience is easy in one season, but then out of nowhere, you're living in unrepented sin. You're living in rebellion, and it's killing you. For new believers in the faith, maybe there's a time to where you were once excited, right? It's easy to be excited about what God is doing in your life as you just begin to work out your salvation, and then there begins a little friction, and now you're fighting yourself, and you have to wake up and say, what is happening to me? And you have to decide to be faithful. Church going was an adventure. You're so excited, but then somehow out of nowhere becomes a burden. And this is all too relatable to me. Maybe some of the worship team, you can help me out. Daniel, help me out, all right? Just to nod your head and be like, yes, that's true. One day, it's easy to worship God. I'm talking about at home. I'm talking about in the car. I'm talking about corporate worship. You're standing at the altar. You feel the tangible presence of the Lord. This is where, this is like, nothing can get me out of here. Lord, I want to be here for the rest of my days. And one day, it's easy just to worship. And another, it's just hard to finish the lyrics of a song. It's hard even sometimes just to even choose worship music. There's times in my life where I'm laser focused. I mean, God is doing something in my life. I know what, he's, I know what he has for me. I mean, come Sunday night, like when, when I'm scheduled to minister, come Sunday night, it's game time. I'm locked and loaded. I neglect my wife, neglect my family. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's, it, I'm focused. All the little stuff that I'm dabbling with, I ain't got time for that. All the video games that I might play just to waste time, I ain't got time for that. I'm, ready, I'm, I'm, I'm locked and loaded. I mean, laser focused. And, I'm, and there are even seasons towards I'm right here, nothing No one, no circumstance, no person can get me out right here. My eyes are fixed on the Lord. Nothing. And then until something does, and boom, I'm distracted. Boom, I'm, I'm, I'm doubtful, I'm confused, and my faith is weary. When this happens, 
and, it, and it's bound to happen. Sometimes it's just the Lord testing your faith and sometimes it's just you being irresponsible. But when this happens, my judgment is very questionable. I'm not good stewards of the relationships that I have. I'm not good steward of, 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 of my marriage and my, and, my parent, and my parenthood. I make questionable judgments. I'm lost. But if I can encourage you that when we struggle with our faith, we can reflect on men of God who also struggled with their faith. And they struggled in various ways and they're written in the word of God. I think one of the men that I like to look at is Elijah. Elijah, Elijah was a prophet. He's actually one of the greatest prophets of all time. And this is what Elijah is known for. He calls down fire from heaven and he kills over 400 false prophets. He's also known to, to outrun the King Ahab's chariot. I mean, here it's not in the Guinness Book of World Record, but this man might be faster than Usain Bolt. It's right there. This man outran a chariot. That's pretty fast. And so what happens was Elijah, one of the greatest prophets, calls down fire, 400 false prophets, gone. Fear. And, and in the very next chapter, what happens is that fear and, 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 and doubt, and because of a wicked woman, he's calling, for, he's calling for his life to be over. He's depressed. He's asking for death. During times of stress and exhaustion, we can easily forget all that God has done. Elijah, mighty man of God, seen the miracles, seen God do mighty things, but because of fear and doubt, he's now asking for his life to be over. I look at another man, John the Baptist. John the Baptist also struggled with, 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 um, with, with fear and doubt. Jesus actually calls John the, prophet, John, the, John the Baptist the greatest prophet. He says it in Matthew chapter 11, verse 11. John had been hand-selected before birth to prepare the way of the Messiah. That he prepared the way for Jesus. And he was faithful to this calling. But yet John, after being imprisoned and sentenced to death, he struggled with doubts about Jesus' identity. I mean, he baptized the Messiah, born of a virgin, was there for the miracles. He's seen all of these great things. He heard about the death. He heard about the resurrection. And now he's sentenced to die in prison. And it is at this time, he starts to wonder and he starts to question and he sends a messenger and he sends a messenger and he asks him, is Jesus truly sent from God? He's, 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 asking, he's asking messengers to send this to Jesus and ask him, hey, can you ask him if he's truly sent from God? Can you do that for me? And Jesus, Jesus didn't rebuke John in his weakness, but instead he sent them a message that only a student of the scripture, as John was, would recognize. Jesus sends, he says, read Isaiah 61. And he reminded John that Jesus, that I alone was sent to fill the messianic prophecy. See, when we experience times of doubt, we have to immerse ourselves in truth. We have to be reminded of the word of God. Because Jesus didn't rebuke him for his doubt, but what he sent him was the truth. What he sent him was a reminder which was found in the word of God. Far too many times, way too often, we search for answers outside of the word of God. Whether that pop open our Instagram, call our mom, call our dad, call our sister, call our brother, call our leader. Although the wisdom is great, 
It will only sustain you for so long. But when we're reminded of the Word of God, it helps sustain us and it gives us hope. It's a reminder that the Word of God is trustworthy. Its truth is not subjective. It's the very object of absolute truth that is unshakable, irreversible, and worthy to hold fast. The, the Word of God is worthy to stand on in times of trouble. It's worthy to recite in seasons of struggle. The Word of God is so powerful also in Romans chapter 8, verse 16. It says, The Spirit Himself bear witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Of a friendly reminder. The greatest power to overcome debt, uh, doubt comes from the Holy Spirit himself. When you put the Holy Spirit together and you put your obedience just to open up the word and put your faith in that, what can shake us? What can remove us from these places of this is where I've always longed to be. This is where the Lord desires me to be. And one day you'll be shaken, yes. But what will remind you to come back to the place of God, this is where you'll have me. Did you know that the faith of individual believers determines the strength of their churches? Your faith will determine the strength of your family. Men, your faith will determine the strength of your relationship with your sons, with your wife, with your household. Mothers, your faith will, will, it will, be, it will determine the strength of the home that you live in, the home that you provide. Is, does your husband want to come home? Your faith will determine those things. Your faith as a believer will determine the strength of your church, of this church, of your ministries, of your own fruit that you have in your life. And if we all could understand, man, that the times that we're living in are tough. The progression is happening, happening, but it's happening rapidly. It's happening fast. So I dare to say that, listen, we don't have time for so-called believers to not have the Holy Spirit inside of them. We don't have time for non-praying Christians. We don't have time for believers that don't read the Word. We need trees that produce fruit because the times that we're living in will require spiritual discernment to protect us, to remind us, and so this is an invitation. Not, if you're not doing those things, I'm not pushing you out. This is an invitation to come on in, to walk in fullness of how, what God has for you. That you don't know how to walk with the Lord, man, maybe, this, maybe the Holy Spirit will reveal to you how, why. So Father, today we just thank you, God. You are so good, you are so faithful, and you alone are worthy. I pray today, God, that we would just not hear a sermon. Father, we hear sermons all the time. And we're grateful for them, Lord, but I pray that we would leave room for the Holy Spirit to speak to the very areas of our life that we neglect. I pray the Holy Spirit will go down to the deepest, darkest depths of our hearts, that will go down into the crevices, that will go down to areas that we neglect. And Holy Spirit, I pray you would reveal through your word on the things, God, that we need to repent of. We thank you for this time. We honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you, Daniel. Amen. All right. Um, well, Merry Christmas, everybody. It's good to be here. Glad that a uh, satanic holiday's over. <laughs> uh, October 19th of 2023, me and my wife welcomed a beautiful baby girl into this world. Yeah. Uh, it is my intention 
it is my intention that I spend, uh, I spend every night with her. I did this with all of my kids. Uh, I let my wife sleep, recover, and all those things, but I go back to work one day, and I don't have the opportunity and luxury to spend as much time with the kids as, you know, my wife does, and so uh, just every night, no matter how hard it is, changing the diapers, the bottles, uh, I spend every single night with her uh, until I go back to work, and it's, uh, I miss her. I love it. Uh, that's how I bond with my kids before they come back, uh, before I go back to work, and uh, just, man, I'm just truly, truly blessed to be a family of five, three healthy kids. Uh, God is good, man. I'm just so thankful. Uh, growing up, I played on a lot of teams, uh, you know, just did a lot of sports. And even now, you know, I'm a loser. I play men's slow pitch softball. Uh, yeah. And so there's camaraderie there. There's camaraderie with the team that you have and the people that, you know, that you, you serve with in unity for one goal, one mind, one purpose. And I look at a lot of, you know, uh, sadly, being a Raider fan, any person that we sign, yeah, it's okay, I'm honest. Uh, sadly, being a Raider fan, any offseason we sign somebody, we just get overly excited, right? They're, they're just going to change the whole, the whole dynamic of our team. And, uh, and so, like, we, just, we signed a quarterback named Jimmy Garoppolo, and he completely just robbed the Ra- Raiders organization of the money because uh, he's not that good. And so I think about it, and he got paid, and he's a part of the team, right? He's overpaid. He's part of the team. He receives all the benefits. And uh, in the most humble possible way, and don't feel bad for me, I sometimes feel like Jimmy Garoppolo as I, as I serve on the pastoral team for Reach Paramount. It's like I robbed you guys. I tricked you guys. And now I'm in. You can do nothing about it. Just kidding. Uh, but it, it's, it's truly an honor. I'm so blessed. Uh, it's, I'm, I mean it. It's, it's, my, it's my greatest honor and privilege other than being a husband and a father uh, serving a part of, this, uh, part of this church on the pastoral team. And it's just... I love and honor our pastor, Pastor Omar Cicerletti, uh, the rest of the pastoral team. It's just tr- truly amazing. Men and women of God with character, integrity, you guys are in good hands. I, I mean that. So um, I'm going to get into the word. Is, is We believe as Christians that the gospel of Jesus Christ is, is, is the lifeblood. It is the very foundation of Christianity. And if we truly believe the gospel, we have to begin to realize that the gospel not only compels Christians to confront social issues in the culture around us, the gospel actually creates confrontation in the culture around us and within us. And it's, it's all too common for, for biblical views on social issues to be labeled, labeled as insulting, especially in today's progressive world, world right? It, 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 it's, it's, it's wild to say that a woman that has feelings for another woman, should not express her love for her in marriage. It's only a matter of time that before a Christian is backed into a corner, right, on this issue, not wanting to be offensive, yet wondering how to respond. We, we find ourselves in these political climates, and, and being a Christian in America today is, is, you say the wrong thing, it's considered hate speech, right? And so we have to, we, we find ourselves on, like, This is what the world does. How do we respond? We have to recognize this, that the biblical view of homosexuality, the biblical view of murder, the biblical view of abortion is not the greatest offense in Christianity. It's evil. It's immoral. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm going to put it out there. Those things are evil and immoral according to God. In fact, that's not even close to the greatest offense in Christianity. The gospel itself is a much, much greater offense. We need to start then to explore, well, what is the gospel? It's the good news, right? 
That's great. We receive that because we're broken. The Lord has called us. We're going to receive that this is the good news. And I'm so grateful that the Lord found me. I'm so grateful that I gave my life to the Lord. And we need to start to ask ourselves, do we actually believe it? Because our answer to the question of what is the gospel will fundamentally determine how we live in the culture today. The gospel offense begins with this. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning, God. The greatest offense starts in Genesis, Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning, God. This initial claim of the gospel is that there is a God through and for whom all things begin. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 28. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of, of the earth. The author of all creation possesses authority over all creation, including you and me. We are accountable to him as judge. One of the truths of the gospel is that God will judge every single person and he will be just while he judges. Does this not put us in a position that we desperately need God's grace? This is offensive to the world. Maybe to not you and I, but it's offensive to the world and to every other religion and to every non-believer. You tell any modern person that there is a God who sustains, who owns, who defines, who rules, and one day will be judge over them. Most will be offended. This is the reason why they mock, why they fight, why they provoke over this. Any person would and every person once has become offended at this very idea, at this very fact. You look at the beginning of human history. I mean, the moment that, that, that God had created Adam and Eve and he put them in the garden. You will see the ultimate problem of the human heart. God puts them in the garden and he says, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of, of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will surely die. Here is, here is God's holiness, his goodness, his justice, and his grace is on display right here. But How? Because a lot of the world thinks, well, God puts a bunch of rules on you. He puts parameters on you, boundaries. You're not supposed to do certain things. Well, God, this is, this is how his holiness, goodness, justice, and grace is found in that. God has authority to, to define what is right and wrong, good and evil. He is the creator. Based upon his pure and holy character. So while he does that, God makes clear to man that he will be judged based upon his obedience to the command. God has given everyone grace. And that is evident because he does not hide his law or his love. You have this, but this is something you can't have. And because you can't have it, let me tell you what happens if you get it. God tells every man in which way in life that he shall walk, and he calls him to walk in it. So how does the created respond to the creator? Right here, within a matter of only a few verses, temptation to sin uh, is right on the table. And the serpent asks, he asks Eve, what does he say? Did God really say that? Did God really say not to eat of that? Do you see the downfall of humans? It all begins right here. When the command of God is reduced to questions about God. The world has fallen into this trance and so have believers. So we question. Just like John questioned Jesus. Are you really the one that was sent? And we do this and we say, is God really holy? Does God really know what is right? Is God really good? Does God really want what's best for me? Does God really know what's best for me? So when we attempt to replace or even eliminate God, we lose objectivity for determining what is good and evil, what is right and wrong, what is moral and immoral. And this is what the world has done.
Richard Dawkins, he's a popular atheist, he says this. He says, in the universe of blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt, other people are going to get lucky. And you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect. If there is at the bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no other good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. DNA neither cares, DNA just is, and we dance to its music. That's what this atheist believes. This is what a godless worldview leaves us. Nothing but hopeless opinions concerning good and evil that is significantly, this right here is just significantly dependent on social constructs, man-made doctrine, man-made opinion. So when we take away from God, when we start to question, is God really good? Is God really holy? Did God really say? This is where it leaves us. So whatever culture says is right, then it must be right. Whatever culture deems is wrong, then that must be wrong. This is the worldview that prevails in American culture today. Progressive ideologies, evil shifts in the moral landscape clearly communicate that we no longer believe certain things are inherently right or wrong. Instead, rightness and wrongness is determined by social development around us. So I beg to question regarding what that man says that are we, really, are, are we willing to conclude that as long as society approves of the industry of sex trafficking, that, 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 that it's no longer immoral? Are we willing to tell young girls sold into sex slavery that they and the men that have taken advantage of them are merely, are merely dancing to their DNA? And that's what is happening. That, that what is happening to them is not inherently evil, that they are just products of blind, blind pitiness, indifference. They're just unlucky. Of course we wouldn't. We couldn't stare a little girl, a little boy in the eyes that is being sold in a sex trafficking. We wouldn't tell them this. But this is the fruit that the world has because of the way of thinking. Because when you begin to take God out of the equation, you begin to question and wonder, well, what is good? What is evil? What is right? What is wrong? And you will trust what the world says rather than what God says. And you will live any which way you want. I believe this will make... This should make everyone mad. There was an association in America, North America, the United States of America. It's called the North American Man-Boy Love Association. It's a pedophilia advocacy organization in the United States. It works to abolish age of consent laws, criminalizing adult sexual involvement with minors and campaigns for the release of men who have been jailed for sexual contacts with minors. This is why the gospel completely confronts social issues. This is why the gospel is offensive to the world. This one might be a little more personal for you and I. Here again, we are confronted with a countercultural offense of the gospel. For even as the gospel grounds the definition of good and evil in the character of God, it also claims that evil is not limited to certain types of sin and selected group of sinners, like these man-boy lovers. Evil is unfortunately inherent in all of us, and therefore an unavoidable part of the culture that we create. Though we all have been created by God, we also have been corrupted by sin. As much as we would like to deny this, our nature constantly demonstrates otherwise. We, boast, we, we possess both dignity and depravity. 
We are prone to both good and evil. And this is the irony of the, of the human condition. A man, John Stott, says this. He says, we are able to think, choose, create, love, and worship. But we are also able to hate, to covet, to fight, and to kill human beings. We are the inventors of hospitals for the care of the sick. We are the inventors of universities for the acquisition of wisdom and the churches for the worship of God. But we also invented torture chambers, concentration camps, and nuclear arsenals to kill the innocent. This is the paradox of humanness right here. We are both noble and ennoble, both rational, irrational, both moral and immoral, creative, destructive, both loving and selfish, both godlike and wicked. Why is this so? In the gospel, it answers that, that although God created us in his image, we have rebelled against him in our own independence. So it might look different in all of our lives, but we are all just like the man and the woman in the garden. We think that if God says not to do something, I'm going to do it anyway. We may not say that, but in essence, we're saying God's not Lord over me. He doesn't know what's best for me. I define what's right and wrong. I say what's good and evil. And the foundation of our morality, it begins to shift from the truth God has given us in his word to the subjective notions we create in our mind that are driven by culture. That's why you see so many people up and down about different things. That's why we can't get certain people to agree on, on certain things that are important. And we come to one conclusion in our lives that whatever seems right to me, whatever feels right to me, is right for me. In the end, each of, at the end to each of us, it's ultimately about me. And I'm speaking in regards to, to believers that live any which way they want. No conviction of the Holy Spirit, disregard for the word. And, 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 and I'm completely aware, it, even for myself, of people that struggle with this, with this like taboo of, of I believe it's okay, um, I, be, I believe it's wrong to live a same-sex lifestyle, attraction to the same, until your brother or your sister deal with it. And then we start to question, right? Well, maybe God did create them that way. But if God was so good and, and the God that I trust, why would he allow this to happen? So we start to, we start to wager in our mind and start to decide what, what God allows and what God doesn't. Because we start to work on our own feelings and we serve ourselves. And we want, the, we want the word of God to benefit us in our situation. Rather, us cling to the word and the word itself. God has designed for us to put him first in our lot. First. God has designed for us to put him first. Others next and ourselves last. But what sin does is it makes us put us first. Maybe others next. And maybe somewhere down the line. God after. This is what sin does to us. And so we turn from worshiping God to worshiping ourselves. Of course, we wouldn't put it this way. Nobody says this. Nobody publicly confesses this. But the tragedy in all of this is that our constant quest to satisfy ourselves, we actually become slaves to sin. This is why Jesus teaches in John chapter 8, verse 34, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The key word is practice. You wake up and you intentionally get better at it. You wake up and you intentionally give it time to practice it. And sin works in many, many ways. And we tell ourselves that no matter what God says, that a lustful thought, a harsh word, a selfish action will satisfy us. We may not say these things, but, but our actions prove otherwise. And we persuade ourselves that no matter what God says, that the money, that the money we have, regardless of what it takes to get it, 
The sex that we experience with whomever we want to enjoy, to enjoy it with will gratify us. We convince ourselves that no matter what God says, that we will be pleased with the person, the possession, or the pursuit. And we chase all of these thinking that we're free, but we're blind to our own bondage. And all of our running to serve ourselves, we're actually rebelling against the one who can actually satisfy our souls. Another thing that's offensive about the gospel is in the end, we are all guilty of rebellion against God, and we must repent for doing so. Not just the murderer, not just the liar, not just the pimp in Thailand, not just the pimp on Clark and Artesia. We are, we are all guilty, and we, and we all have to repent for doing so. All of us, you and I, we're all guilty before God without the blood and sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the repentance of our sin. We are all guilty. The world, you know what they're trying to do? They're trying to remove the guilt. This is what the world is trying to do. And this is what is seeping into the lives of believers in the pews today. As we are trying to remove the guilt by shifting the standards of right and wrong in the name of cultural progression. One of the easiest ways to massage guilt is to convince ourselves that the moral standards are impractical or outdated. Greed is not wrong, it's necessary. The good of ambition, promoting ourselves, is the only way to be successful. Lust is a natural part for contemporary men and women. Sex is expected regardless of marriage or gender. This is what the world believes. This is what some of you believe by, the, by your actions. We attempt to remove guilt by redefining what is right and wrong according to the cultural facts, yet guilt remains. You can't remove church, church members Followers of Jesus Christ, those that proclaim the name of God, that, that call yourselves believers, you cannot remove that guilt, no matter how hard you try, no matter all the things that you do. If you're living in sin, you better be thankful that the conviction of the Holy Spirit is still speaking to you, because that is a warning to come back to the Lord. But when you lose the Spirit of God, you are in one of the most dangerous places that any believer can be. The gospel reaches its peak offense right here. When you tell people that their eternal destiny is depending on whether they believe that a man that was hanging on a tree, that he's Lord, that he's judge, that he's savior, that he's king of all creation, they hate that. You tell them that the way they live, they're living is wrong, that it's evil. Some of you men, I'm poking you right now. You don't like it because you have the spirit of compromise and that's okay. Because the Holy Spirit's going to speak to you. The world hates it. The world tried to silence Jesus. They traded the king of all creation, the savior of the world, for a rapist and a murderer. The Roman Empire, they tried to kill, they, they, they murdered every disciple. They killed every believer that professed the gospel. They impaled them on stakes and they lit them up for their dinner parties. They fed children to dogs. They tried to completely Get rid of the gospel. Extreme Muslims in China, in Africa, in India, all across the world, they kill professing Christians this day because of the gospel. While you and I just bat an eye and we sit there and we're just comfortable and we live whichever way we want. Here is a call to conviction right here. We live in a unique time in Western culture. That's the truth. The landscape around us is changing rapidly. I mean, fast. As a result, we have many opportunities to stand and to speak about it. 
you've been coming a long time already, if you've been a part, you know that we, we love the word of God. We will choose him above all else because we love you. Because we care about you, about your soul, about your eternal reward or your eternal damnation. This is why it's so appropriate and so, and so important that we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can't let this moment pass us. I mean, I, I pray that at the end of it all, that it was said of us, that it was said of John Tahaji, that it was said of Reach Church and Pastor Omar and the rest of the pastoral team, that we stood on his word, that we didn't back down in the name of, uh, of, of cultural progression, that we weren't afraid of the times that were being changing, that we weren't afraid of a virus that we didn't know nothing of, but we knew we were being lied to, so we're going to open up the church doors. You're welcome to walk through if you want. Everyone else can stay home and be afraid. That's fine. But in the name of cultural progression, we don't care. We're opening up the doors. And because of that obedience, revival. You are here because of the obedience of another man that wasn't afraid of what the world was saying. We have to be thankful for things like this. So, there, so although these things that we say may rub you the wrong way, deal with it in your heart and take it to the Lord. See what it will do with you. All for the name of eternal reward. This is what we're into right here. It's saving souls. One soul at a time. Preaching the word to please God. A call to conviction. And now there's a call to compassion. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 through 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. For as the Lord forgave you, and all of these, and all of these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. A call to compassion. And then there's a call to action is that we love our neighbor as ourselves, that we love the Lord God with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, that we put our trust in him and him alone, that when we're feeling weary, that when we're feeling like, man, I don't know what's going to happen, when we're feeling like in our season of there's nothing that can take me out of this place where I'm so thankful for all God has done, and then you find yourself in another season wondering, how did I get here? That we trust in God and his word and his word alone. Because more and more Christians today are stepping away from this gospel. More and more Christians are stepping away to find churches that will accommodate them and their beliefs. There are powerful theories. There's a powerful force out there that are leading more and more churches today to accommodate and adapt to the cultural progression. All for the name of inclusion. All for the name of God created you this way, it's okay. This is what is happening today. Did you know that there are, there, there are eloquent men that, that speak heresy? Did you know that there are pastors and preachers? They speak great. They speak with the, with, with, with the best grammar. They speak very eloquently, but it's heresy. And because they sound good and they have all the followings, we listen to them. We pay attention to them. We like their videos. We share them. We do all of these things because we have no spiritual discernment. We have to care for ourselves. We have to put on the full armor of God and test people for their fruits. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28 says, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. I find many times that us as believers that we're more afraid of those that can kill the body rather than those that can kill the body and the soul. 
We're more worried about pleasing them. We're more worried about their opinions. We're more worried about hurting their feelings than we are more worried about disappointing and being disobedient to the creator that has called us. The gospel of Christ, it's not a call to cultural compromise in the face of fear. It's a call to be countercultural, to live a crucified death, to die to yourself every single day for the sake of eternal reward. It's important that we stick to the word of God, that we're obedient. And there is something inside of us that is calling us and drawing us near to be obedient in this time. Matthew chapter 10, verse 31, it says, so don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. My hope is this. My hope is this for all of us today, that we believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the core, it's, it's just, it's beneficial to our lives in every way. That we need it that we bleed for it, that we die for it, that we study it, that we live it, that we teach it to our children, that we stand firm on the word, that we aren't afraid of the cultural progression, that we aren't afraid of the woke mob, that we're not afraid of people that will slander us and provoke us for being outcasted by, from our own family, that will slander you because you stand firm on the word of God. Time and time again, when we choose the word of God, we will see the benefits of it. But because we don't see the benefits as fast as we see, uh, as fast as we see the wrong things, we get intimidated. We get afraid. Be before I end, I, I'm closing. We got the worship team come up here. I know I didn't, I didn't share many scriptures or, or read a main context. I'm going to do that now. It won't be long. As I look at the book of Joshua, the book of Joshua provides this overview of, of the military campaigns to conquer the land and the area that God had promised the Israelites. Following the exodus from Egypt and, and, and the 40 years of wilderness and wanderings and generation dying off, the newly formed nation is now, they're, they're now ready to enter the promised land. They're ready to conquer the inhabitants and occupy their space. It's theirs. They're ready for it. Joshua chapter 1, verse 6 through 9, one of the key verses in, in, in the book, it says, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all of the law my servant Moses gave you, all of it. Do not turn from it to the right or the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be not um, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord, your God, will be with you wherever you go. This is so important for us today. That we stand firm. That we don't look to the left. That we don't look to the right. But we stay focused on the word of God. Because I believe in the power of what I am doing right now. Of preaching the gospel. Of causing friction. Of, of, of cleansing us of these ideas that we have. I understand that. These are great. In these moments that you respond and the Holy Spirit is moving, I pray that you react to those. I pray you respond to those. But if I'm being honest, in times of trouble, I don't necessarily remember the last message my pastor spoke. 
when the enemy is, is just, he's got, he's got the knife to my back, when I feel pinned down and I don't know what to do, I'm lost, I'm confused, it's the word of God will sustain me. It's friendship with the Holy Spirit, relationship with my Father that helps me in these times of trouble. And although I may not see the answer right in front of me right now, I may not see the answer when I ask for it, the answer is there. That I must walk by faith and not by sight. That the steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord. So although I get cracked and my equilibrium is all shaking and I don't know what to do, I put one foot in front of the other. And I trust that my God is who he says he is. That I believe in his word. It's not just for me, but it's for you. That it's not just for the believer, but it's for the atheist. That it's for the Muslim. It's for the confused. It's for the mentally ill. It's for the sick. It's for all of those who will hear and accept the message. So my, my job is not to communicate this and make sure that everyone responds. My job is just to communicate. The response is up to you. What the Lord wants to do, that's up to him. My job is that I am obedient to his voice, that I walk in my calling, that I'm not afraid to, to, to cause friction, that I'm not afraid of, of confronting these things. It's not as easy as some of you may think that I make it look. You don't know what I deal with. You don't know how I feel after these messages. You don't know the strength that I need to communicate these messages when people are just sitting there staring at me, not knowing what to do. But I trust in his word. That's it. I can go to a church and every single member walk out on me. I'm going to trust in his word. I can stand up here and you guys can shout me down. You can stomp your feet. You can clap your hands. You can do all of that. I'm going to trust in his word. I will, not deviate the, for the, I will not deviate from the plan that he has for me. I will not deviate from the plan that he has for the world, that he has for this church, that he has for, for some of you that are in my life that I'm close to. This here, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it means too much to me. He's done too much in my life for me to deviate from all that he says to do. So when I'm lost, when I'm confused, and I'm broken, I'm going to trust in him. When I don't know the answer, he's the answer. When I feel like I'm justified and I've been done wrong, and the world may say it's okay to act the way you want to act, I'm going to trust in him. I'm wrong. The Lord looks at my heart. I cannot hide from God. At the end of Joshua's, at the book, he says this. He's speaking to all of his leaders, all of his commanders. He's speaking to the people. And he's telling them, listen, your father served this God. Your father served this God. All the idolatry that, that your family served in, there's a reason why they died off and weren't able to enter the promised land. Because they served this God, he served this God. And he takes a stance at the end of his, at the end of his conclusion of the, of, of the book. And he says, listen. You serve which God you want to serve today. But me and my family, me and my household, we will serve the Lord. This is the stance that I believe every believer should have. Because in your own cliques that you have with even other members of this church, 
you're going to have to take a stand. From the world, your family that doesn't believe in God, why are you doing this with your kids? Why are you doing this? They, they don't know. It is our job to show them. But listen, me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You go to church too much. Uh, you, you, you don't go to church at all. Look at you. I would never say that. There's no love in it, although it is true. What, 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 are, you, what are you doing in, in, in your life? You really find purpose in this? You really find purpose in going to church three times a week and leading a connect group every Friday? You really find purpose in giving your time uh, to people that aren't even good stewards of it? Yes. Because it pleases the Lord. So when I say that me and my house, we will serve the Lord, it's how he says to live, not how I want to live. I believe every single believer here today has a responsibility to make a choice on how you will serve the Lord. There is a beautiful offense of the gospel. We love it. We love the gospel. We acknowledge that we're broken. We acknowledge that we're hurt. We acknowledge that we need a savior. We were called and drawn by the Holy Spirit. We love the good news of the gospel. But will you also stand by the offense of the gospel? Because others don't see it that way. They hate you for it. Don't be surprised that they hate you for it. Jesus said, they hated me, they're going to hate you too. At the end of the day, have you really counted the cost of what it takes to follow Jesus? The benefits are great. The love and the hope that you feel is great. The gospel, the good news is great. But are you willing to stand by the offensive part of it all? Are you willing to stand for his name? Or will we be like Peter? Weren't you with that man? Never met him before. Never seen him. I don't know who he is. And I believe we've all been through those places before. It's part of maturity. It's part of your growth. But Peter was one of the greatest pastors. He was the first pastor that we've known to, one of the greatest pastors we've known today. Because he recognized his wrongs and he chose I'm going to choose Jesus no matter what. So he writes 1 Peter, 2 Peter. And he's telling a persecuted church, don't be afraid. Be ready in season and out of season. Don't give them a reason. We have to choose today. The response to this altar call, I don't care what it looks like. The fruit has to go beyond these walls. Has to go beyond the close of this service. Healing with your son, with your daughter with your children. It has to happen. Closure from those things that you never got closure for. The Holy Spirit can make it happen. The forgiveness, the anger, the bitterness, you got to let it go. The idea that you're not qualified, you got to let it go. If I had the idea and the notion that I'm not qualified, I wouldn't be standing here. But His power is made perfect in my weakness. And if I'm going to demonstrate God's power, that I must be obedient in every season of my life. And it all started that I chose. Thank you, God, for your good news. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the, for the, for the crucifixion, for the blood that you shed for me. Now, no matter how offensive the rest is, I'm going to stand for it. I'm going to bleed for it. I'm going to study it. I'm allow it to sustain me, to help me, to push me through until I receive my eternal reward. So I've got every head bowed, every eye closed.
Father, you are worthy. The Lord calls us to be a light to the world. That light, sometimes it isn't always this hope when we're out searching for a lighthouse. Sometimes that light exposes the sin that needs to be exposed. That when you're living in darkness for so long, the moment you're exposed to light, there is a little bit of pain in your eyes, but there's a relief as well. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is speaking to people, that there is a light that is beaming on you and exposing areas of your life. And you can be afraid and you can run from it, you can hide from it, or you could experience that pain that brings relief and says, you got me. I've been found out. You found me. Now here's the good news. His hand is reaching out to you and he's pulling you in. He says, come and walk in the fullness that he had for you. Stop running from the Father. Stop running from the judge, from the creator. He loves you. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Reach Church Paramount. To stay connected with us, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Reach Paramount. To give and support this podcast and ministry, visit our website at reachparamount.com slash give.